0: Okay, so we're starting the study of the Mimer. There's a Mimer that was said by the Rebbe on Farshish Mishpatim in Tavshin which means 1965. So let's start in the text right away, since you've already done the Chavrusa. So let's go. So the verse says, that's a verse in chapter 24. Vayova Moshe gomer after Hashem told Moshe to stay on the mountain, it says that Moshe went into the cloud, etc. And then he stayed there for 40 days. Oferosh Rashi, and on that verse, Rashi explains that on on there, when it says it was a cloud, this cloud that Moshe came into, it was was kind of a smoke uh, uh, cloud, not a cloud that is like clouds that come out of, of condensation and cloud that give rain. No, it was, it was a cloud of smoke. It was kind of a smoke. And Rashi adds that Hashem made specially for Moshe a path through which he should go through this smoke. On which the Rebbe points out, Rashi's explanation is taken from what the Gemara says in the tractate of Yoma, that the Gemara says that since Nehemiah Khan, since here in this verse, it says that Moshe came betoich, within the cloud, but also in a previous occurrence, it says betoich, that people came within, inside, where does it says? where does this expression appear previously? Well, in the splitting of the sea, where it says, <laughs> that the Jews came inside the sea, but, but on solid and dry land. And so it says, just like in the previous uh, story, when it talked about the splitting of the sea, meaning shvil, there was a special path through which they, they, they crossed the sea. like it says, that there was still water, and water was on the two sides of, of, of them, just like a, a wall. So it was basically, it's not that the whole sea retreated or that the whole sea dried up, but within the sea, inside of the sea, there was a path. means So here too, that Moshe, Moshe came within the cloud, meaning there was a shvil, there was a path. Point. That's the end of Rashi, with the corroboration of how the Gemara puts it. Vihine says now the mimer, I'nyan ha'osha, when you talk about something that is of the concept of smoke, she'on Anze, like Rashi says, this cloud can mean was kind of a smoke, meaning Rashi has to point out that it was not a cloud, but it was not, not the simple meaning of a cloud, but it was smoke, so, smoke, comes when there is fire. It's not the fire itself that makes the smoke. It is the smoke only appears when fire, burns, and consumes, eliminates, a certain object, then we have smoke. Just like in, in, in a couple of verses earlier, I mean in the previous verse, just before it says that Moshe came into this cloud smoke. What does it say in the previous verse? It says, That God's glory appeared, like a consuming fire. So you have this idea that fire consumes, but Rosh Ahar said that the consuming fire of Hashem was at the summit of the mountain for Hine because Mishreifat it is through the burning and the elimination of this object Hanisra age that the fire is now burning Yotze Hashem, that is how smoke is produced, now when we learn such a nightmare we think like wow that's a lot of words to tell me how fire and smoke work, it's like duh <laughs> but, still, but still, when you will move on, you say, yeah. But you'll soon see why all those details are so important, because I want to make sure that we are on the same, how do you say, on the same... Wavelength. Yeah, wavelength on the same page, that we know what fire is and we know what smoke is. And it's important to point those out because we'll have to continue. Om um, Nam, but... But Matan Torah, in the previous Parsha, in the Parsha of Yisroy, the Parsha that told us the story of the giving of the Torah, what does it say there? Just before Hashem gave the Ten Commandments, it says, Har Sinai and the mountain of Sinai. Ashon Kulai was completely smoking, that's the only way, I know It's it's, it's a weird way of saying. But I want to be the most precise in the literal translation because it's going to be very important. He was Oshan. And it's written, Oshan is written, come, it's Aleph. So it makes a, a verb, not Oshan Kulay. He would have said Oshan Kulay, meaning he was, he was completely smoke. But it says Oshan. Oshan makes it a, a verb, like Ochal, Holach. Oshan Kulay. The mountain was smoking. Because Hashem had descended upon it, upon the mountain, Boesh, with fire, etc. And then, right away, already in the parenthesis, there's this first nuance that is being observed that over there it says, It just said that Hashem came upon the mountain with fire. It doesn't say, Velo Esh Ochelet. It doesn't say, where they consuming fire? Now you can say, same thing, but don't. Because in Tara, everything is precise. Because either or. Or you say that fire automatically consumes, so I don't have to say it. Well, so if you don't have to say it, so why do you say it later on? Or you always have to point it out, so why don't you say it here? I mean, be consistent. I get it. You can say, well, it doesn't have to say consuming fire, because if it's a fire, it consumes. Okay, fine. So you don't have to say it later on either. The fact that the Torah, which is so precise, on one instance, before the giving, right before the Ten Commandments, in the Parsha of Yisra, it says that Hashem had descended upon it with a fire. With fire. It doesn't say consuming fire. And later on, it says that Hashem's appearance—that's after the giving of Torah, when Moshe went into the cloud—says that God's appearance was at the top of the mountain as a consuming fire. But that's already one point. Now, this mimer of the Rebbe is first going to refer through a Hasidic discourse that had, has been, sa- that had been said by his pr- predecessor, the, his father-in-law, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz. In the Rebbe Rayatz's Hasidic discourse, in the Mimer that he had said in 1941, Tafshin Aleph, in that Mimer, those, those nuances, some nuances were already pointed out, that it says over there in that previous discourse, of the Friedeke Rebbe, it says like this, when you pay attention to the precise formulation that there is in the verse, it is, you can understand from it, that the fire was the cause itself of the smoke, Although, in truth, the smoke doesn't come from the fire, the smoke comes from the object that is being burned. It doesn't come from the fire itself. And here, in the parentheses, it says that you can speak about a spiritual fire or a material fire. It says, but we're not going to go into the differences because they are in the same in that effect. But again, since he's saying that we're not going to go it because it's the same, so we're not going to go into it. Yeah. In order for a fire to exist, something has to be consumed. But like that's the... True. But the smoke is produced by the object and he'll, he'll, and he'll, and he'll talk about it later. Because fire, is- fire can always be the same fire but the, 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 the thickness and the nature of the smoke will not be by the fire. So, will, what be, if- will be by the object. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if oxygen... He's being sucked out of the room through fire. There's no smoke there. Why? Because oxygen doesn't have any consistent matter that will produce smoke. But a rubber tire, uh if it's a rubber tire, you'll have thick, black, choking smoke. Now the fire was the same fire. Fire was fire. You can't say fire like this, fire like fire is fire. So why in one instance you have barely any smoke, a very thin white smoke, smoke that doesn't even make you choke, it's just a, a scent like you're burning, right? Incense. Or a, it's very thick. So the answer is because the smoke doesn't come from the fire. The fire is the, the first cause of it. The fire burns an object, and the object, when it burns, produces smoke. That's very important. You, you get, you might think, well, we sp- again, we're spending a lot of time discussing very obvious things, but you'll see how all those details are going to become so important when we understand the whole reason. Now, what is the first detail on which the Friedrich Rebbe's mimer stops? He says that if you look carefully through the formulation of the verse in the giving of a Tyre, what does it say? The mountain was smoking, for Hashem had descended upon in a mountain. It doesn't say, for it was burning. Now again, you could say, same, same. But it doesn't say consuming fire. Meaning, as if the fire brought the smoke. It doesn't actually say that the f- mountain was burning. It says that the mountain was full of smoke because Hashem descended upon it on, on, with fire. Because, because in truth, if you, if you think about it, Sinai And it's even not only that it doesn't say that the mountain was burning, because rightfully it doesn't say that the mountain was burning. Because on the Mount Sinai, Eloha Ilana is... There were no trees, or different kind of vegetation, that when they will burn, it will produce smoke. So I know there's a famous Midrash that says that there was, but this Mimeh does not refer to this Midrash. A Midrash, I'm opening a parenthesis, a Midrash in a lot of instances, in a lot, not in all, but one, one should not approach, now I know what I'm going to say now, can be the object of a whole class, but a midrash does not necessarily um, tell the historical exactitude of what of an event. When the midrash describes an event in a certain way, what he means is that this event relays an idea, a principle, and the midrash will present this principle by describing the details of an event, but it does not necessarily mean that this is how it happened. I know this is a class in itself. But sometimes but it could. Sometimes it could. I said not necessarily. Now this is why you can have comfort, contradicting and conflicting Midrashim about what happened, which is very, very surprising because since the Midrash is Torah, and Torah is truth, so did Batya, Pharaoh's daughter, send her maid? Or did her hand, arm stretch out? I mean, if I can find the video, what do I see? You can't tell me they're right. There's going to be something in the video, right? I can have a, I'm going to see either or. I'm going to either see Batya telling her mate, bring me the basket, or I'm going to see Batya. So why do we learn that all the Midrashim but you see why you have you see where there's going to be a difficulty because when you talk about events that happen how could you maintain that they're both true and the answer is because what you maintain when you say they're both true meaning that they both agree, express an idea that is within that event that are both principles are 100% true now the midrash will express a principle through giving it a by giving it a kind of physical life. It's kind of a poetic way. It's as if you would have seen so and so. One second. So, no, it doesn't matter if it happened or not. If you want, I'm going to stay on that event of Batya. What both opinion of midrashim express is since the birth of Moshe was, a, was the beginning of the G'ulah. Do miracles occur right from the beginning of the Gula or not? Can the ge'ula start only in a very natural way? And this is also going to be the conflicting midrashim about was he born circumcised? Did the house, was the house filled with light? Yeah. One approach is that from the moment that there is a go'el, that there is a liberator, so you have a ge'ula, and if you have a ge'ula, that means that nature is being pushed aside and so Batya's arm stretched out or you say no a geola introduces itself within nature itself now the, the, both ideas are 100% true it, it's true that on one side nature is going to be pushed away but it's also true that another the other side geola happens within nature you can't say he's right he's wrong now what the Midrash wants to point out, that in the story of Moshe, everything was a miracle. So he's going to say, but his hand stretched out. Did it? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm expressing this idea. Even if she sent her maid, do not look upon it as a simple thing. Oh, she sent her maid. Sending her maid, is, it was just as miraculous as her hand Stretching out. Because her finding the basket and not being denounced, etc., etc., that was a miracle, just as would you would have sh- screamed and shouted, miracle if you had seen the hand of Bhatia stretch out. You get it? So, did the hand of Bhatia stretch out or not? So the person who's going to maintain that position says, I don't know. Well, you just said it did. He says, no, I didn't say it did. I said that it was completely a mess. Why? Because when Torah is going to point something out, that she sent her ammo, why is Torah pointing this out? Torah is not pointing out the color of her dress. So Torah could just have said, and she took the basket. How? Akasha of is saying anyway, Yiddish. Why are you asking details of a story? What does it matter how? If it would have just said that she saw the basket and she took the basket, would you have asked how did she take the basket? No, I don't know. She took the basket. Wait, why you? But Torah comes and says she sent her Amos. So here they're going to have discussion. What does Torah want to express to this? So one will say Torah wants to express that everything was a ness. Says no, Torah wants to express that the goal that happens with the Chateva. Who is right? Both right. If you look at it from the principle. Who is right in the narrative? Completely irrelevant because the Torah could have left this whole thing completely out. And the fact that Torah did express it was not that you should have a full picture of the narrative. Because Torah leaves out so many things. Why? Because they are relevant. They might be relevant in history, but not relevant in Tyra. So if Tyra expresses then Torah only expresses historical details only because they teach you a lesson. And the question is, what lesson does it teach you? The way rabbis in Madrash are going to express the lessons is by dressing them in events. But, get it? So when you come to a midrash, you do not have to take it literally. Again, you can, especially if there is no discussion. I mean, you don't have per se to say, ah, it's a Midrash Most probably didn't happen. No. There's no problem teaching it, it that happened. Why not? I mean, you don't have to per se maintain that it didn't happen. But but you definitely can say, it does not mean that it's necessarily that that's how it happened. It's, it's not, why this? Okay, so I'm closing that parenthesis. Uh, June, I w- want to add something. I'm opening the parenthesis again. Everything I just said within the parentheses, does not apply when it comes to a story that has a halachic implication. Any event that has a halachic implication or a midrash in an event that has a halachic implication, then it means that it happened as it's written. Because if not, then the whole halachic... Because then my parenthesis will not finish. This whole idea that it did not necessarily... did not... per se happened, but gosh this way, this does not apply if it's an event through which we learn a certain behavior. Because if it's an event, a the behavior, then you need this event to have happened in that way because if not, how does it teach your halacha? Maybe it didn't happen. And if you learn from it the halacha then it has to be, there has to be pshat. i oh, see, I'm I cannot give an example. I'm going to give an example because it should be clear. The Gemara, for example, the Gemara, for example, tells about the story that two and Rabba and Rabzaira drank a lot of wine on Purim until one killed the other. Shachta. So some suggest that it didn't happen to Gashmi. This whole it's a metaphor. It's an im and this is the that's a metaphor. Says the Rebbe, I can't accept this explanation. Why? Because we learn from this behavior, uh, and this event is is taught following the halacha that a person has to become drunk and poor. And as a as a corroboration to that halacha, says by the way, actually, Robin Reb got so drunk, etc. Says the Rebbe, if this whole story is a metaphor, so how does that? prove anything in regard to the halacha. The halacha says you have to get wrong. By the way, Rabbi 01 one flying in higher spiritual spheres. Yeah, so how's that got to do anything with the halacha? Get it? So when an event is told in a relation with the halacha, prior to the halacha, or following the halacha, it has to be that the event happened in the If not, it's, it, it doesn't prove anything. Okay, now I'm closing the parentheses. So, the Midrash says that there were trees, and etc. But I... I when I come to analyze the details of a verse, I do not have to refer to this madrash. So I, in pshat, like like it says a lot of times, in the simple meaning and Torah can always and should always be taken also as a simple meaning, a mountain in the middle of the Sinai desert, called that way because of the Sinai mountain, is a rocky mountain, sand and stones, I don't have to acknowledge this fact that there was a... that they were green. So I'm going to go on the simple premises that it was a mountain of rocks and stones and sand. So, so of course, Torah will not say that the mountain was burning. No, no, of course the mountain wasn't burning for the very obvious reason that there is nothing to burn. So you see, so when it says that it was smoke, well, it only confirms conf- yeah, it only confirms. Okay. Yeah, but it's another word. Anyway, it only confirms what I said before that the fire brought the smoke, not the object is burning. So, so they always say, The mountain was a mountain of stones. And stones are not destroyed true fire, at least not sheyar le'oshan, to the point that it will produce smoke. So, so that's his, that's the first um, nuance that the Rebbe Rayatz is pointing out. That the fire itself came with smoke. Ummosif ledayek, and then he makes another observation by looking at the details. It says when you look at what it says, it says Asher at Hashem, that Hashem descended upon the mountain bo'ish with fire. But although when you look at the nature nature that God Himself created within the creatures within creation, he the nature of fire who aliyah to ascend unless there will be a physical object in which the fire will be will be attached then it will stay below if you have a fire in a house or a building so the upper the levels are the worst right? doesn't mean it can't go down of course it can because it's hanging, it, it it's it's burning something, so you can through the attachment, of it, it can it can also go down, but it will it could, but it will definitely go up. That's that's not a question. Will it go down? Maybe. Will it go up? Hundred percent. That's not a question. It will go up. Why? Because fire always goes up. Now you say, okay, so what's the problem? Well, says the Chidgurava, I'm I'm just surprised. That when it comes to fire, the verb going down was used. Although you could have just said this, the image would just, not the image, the event would have just as well been told if it was said, because Hashem had come with fire. of right? That Hashem had come upon the mountain with fire. And you wouldn't have said, oh, coming, how, from below. Again, you wouldn't have asked this question. But the fact that the Torah says, no, he descended with fire. He said, uh-huh, descending fire. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, it's Hashem. He can do whatever he likes. But again, so, but why does Torah point out that the fire descended? Meaning the Torah points out that the fire was in a way not behaving in the natural way of doing things. Now you see all those very, very minute details those would not be things that we would we would have picked up or pondered if we when we read this narrative. Why? Because yeah, I don't know. We will. We would say, "Don't be picky. Everything is clear." But why was why not how how because Hashem did it. But why did Hashem do it here, the opposite of the nature? Point. Now, right away, contrary to different other Hasidic discourses that are going to make a whole, first a whole development, and then we'll come to the conclusion that will answer the question, here, in this Hasidic the Rebbe, we're going to have the basis of the answer right away. Why? Because first he is quoting another mimer of the Friedeke Rebbe. So first he's bringing this other mimer in a nutshell in the, in another, my Mother physical rebbe, he's he is he is analyzing certain details, like for example, that it wasn't a consuming fire, and that it doesn't say that the mountain was burning; it just said that the fire brought smoke, and actually, it also says that the fire descended, meaning that it was a change of nature. And in that mimer, the explanation over there. So he's going right away to the answer. The explanation over there was the following. I follow this explanation because it's a tremendous uh, fundamental idea. Dehine for b'matn tyra, when Hashem gave the tyra, nidgala pnimiut hakavona debriasoila. Hashem right away revealed what was His profound intention when He created the world. You hear that? That's a statement that you have to hear and hear and hear. When Hashem gave the Torah, at that moment He revealed His profound intention for which He had created the world. <speaking in Hebrew> the world was created Alpiateva, With the nature Kadosh That God minted within the four uh, elements that compose nature meaning the four elements that compose nature are fire wind or air earth. water and earth those are the first funda- four fundamental elements and so too in the four categories of of creation which is the mineral the the, the the vegetation the animal world and the human ha for what Tyra comes to achieve ne'zot, he avodat the 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 work the endeavor that humanity i mean a man but humanity haadam will have to do is to change his nature. To change the nature of the world. la So that they should become a prepared place, a fitting place in which he will dwell. And I have to stop here. Not in time but to understand this idea. When we, when we think about Torah and we think about Torah and we think about God's intention generally we see Hashem's interaction with the world as a foreign body. The world is a world and Hashem sees the world controls the world directs the world will come into this world to have a dwelling place with us. But the world is a world. Sure, Hashem being the boss and the, the creator of all things, he himself is not bound by nature. And that's why he can do miracles. Yeah, of course. Meaning we acknowledge this idea that the nature should be pushed aside because Hashem being the one that made those rules, he himself is not Bound by them. Okay. But besides those exceptions of Hashem pushing the nature aside, the world has a natural way of things that Hashem wanted, by the way. Now here comes Hasidus. and says, okay. True. That is maybe the general way of seeing things because that is how Apparently, they are that the world has its own nature that is completely absent in, 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 a, in an obvious way, is absent of godliness. It seems that godliness is not a part in it, not as a, not as a spiritual entity, even if I acknowledge that the particles of matter and energy themselves are an expression of divine energy. Okay, but now there are particles and energy. Meaning, what do I have in front of my eyes? I only have physicality in front of my eyes. Even if I understand that this physicality itself is completely animated from within by spiritual energy. Okay, fine, but that is from within. But now the way it is, it's physicality, there's nothing more to it. I once heard a conference from Stephen Hawking. And I, why, why did I listen to this conference? Because the, the name of the conference was well, Scientific Proof of Non-Existence of God. So I said, oh, I'm interested in that. I know some might say, why would you listen to that? I said, no, on the contrary, I want to hear. So it seemed, an, it seemed an a, good exp, a good proof because what did he say? since we can observe and analyze and understand everything that is within the universe so everything makes sense and is self-sufficient so there is no God there is just nature there is just whatever there is in the universe meaning God becomes irrelevant because what do we need him for? And this is why you need Hasidus, because his reasoning is exactly the same reasoning, which I understand, of a fetus in a mother's womb, saying that since he analyzed the womb, the placenta and everything, and mother was nowhere to be found, so he came to the conclusion that mother doesn't exist. It's just a myth that's been going on. Why? Because if mother was here, I would have seen her. So what are you living for? Oh, I'm living from the placenta. And the, the placenta lives through blood, meaning everything is self-sufficient. Everything is, is explained. So there is no God, simply because I don't need a God. So the simple answer is, the simple, answer, the simple explanation, not answer, the simple explanation is, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you didn't think about something, which is that the sheer existence of everything, energy and matter, is in itself the spiritual energy of Hashem. That is its profound DNA, but it's not something that you can observe in a scientific measure. So we understand that? So I hear what you're saying in a scientific approach since I've checked everything out. And God was nowhere to be found. Not only was he nowhere to be found, he's not necessary. Meaning, what, what does he mean? If science would have encountered something that could not be explained, that just happened, then you could say, well, that must have been God. That is God's signature. Yeah? But since I can explain everything, or at least as far as hypotheses go, I can have at least an hypothesis on everything. So I didn't find God's signature anywhere. And that is the proof, scientifically, that it doesn't exist. But again, so what is Tyra's explanation? Not answer, because I don't have to answer it. Just like you don't have to answer a mathematician that asks an author of a novel, how come the chapter 17 is completely off the average number of words of the other chapters. <laughs> well, that's a mathematical question. That's not a literary question. You get it? Meaning, in a mathematical... Ma- in a... for m- 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 approach, I get your question. There's a certain... there's an average number of words in all the chapters, and chapter 17 is the odd element. So you have to figure out why. Has it to do with 17? <laughs> but, okay. But you add that to the author <laughs> because it's an event. So does want to move on. Because it was like an end. <laughs> so how will the author justify? He, he will not justify. He's going to say, don't analyze my novel. <laughs> right? <laughs> From a mathematical perspective. Hey, I'm literature science is the other wing of the building. This is literature. Makes, so, so too, Tyra doesn't have to answer science, because Tara says, I'm not dealing with science. You approach everything from a scientific perspective. Okay, that's your approach. I don't have to look at it from that approach. Though not everybody will understand this, this answer, but again, so Tyra doesn't have to answer the question. But still, when you know Tyra, you understand that the question or that the statement is wrong. Because the sheer matter and energy themselves are spiritual energy. But it's something that you cannot observe. So why where is this linked to this minor? Because so okay, so Tyra acknowledges that nature only appears as nature while being that nature's existence is fueled and exists only through spiritual energy, okay, that's DNA. But in itself, it's only nature. Now I want you to ponder and imagine, and instead of having four core elements, fundamental elements, like fire and wind, air and, and, and water and earth, imagine a fifth element. Spirituality. Not as the DNA of the four elements. A fifth element. That coexists as a natural fundamental. Yeah, no. What do you call the fourth fundamental? Element. element. As a fifth element. But it's separate from the other. Ones. Just like fire and earth are two different elements, right? So you, you would have like a fifth element. Now, today for us, it says, but I don't need a fifth element. So even if I would have a fifth element, it would be like a foreign body. I'm coming back to what I started off. That generally when we speak of Hashem and His relationship with the world, we see Him as something that intervenes in the world from outside. You get it? And even if I acknowledge the existence of a fifth element, I would not see it as an element that is part of creation. Again, I'm not referring to the spiritual energy that is within, because that's not a fifth. That's not even a first. That's, that's zero. That's the it of everything. So that's not a fifth. Now imagine a fifth. But here I'm going to take it a step further. DON'T IMAGINE IT as something that is like a foreign body, That comes into the world. Imagine the world's nature, nature of the world changing to the point where spirituality will be completely intertwined into nature. Where just like today, those four elements are are observed as being the structure of nature. Imagine coming to an age where the, the divine itself will be part of the structure, not something that comes. Get the difference? How is that different from... It the will, because it will be another building block. A block, meaning... So it will be an apparent, just like water, fire, etc. are apparent elements. Imagine Hashem being an apparent element that is part of the structure of physical existence. Now this for us is difficult to imagine. Because let's say I have like a kind of a... I don't know what form you would have, right? And well actually... No, oh, not a cube, right? So you have those four elements. I don't know what kind of... Right? We have like those four elements because they're completely interacting. Imagine you will have to create a new ge- geometrical... Right? Because you now you have to add a fifth, but not a fifth that doesn't change the geometrical figure. No, no, you have to add a fifth that will interact with the fourth. So basically you'll have a new geometrical figure, Right? So this is not miracle. Miracle pushes aside nature. This is not nature itself. This is a change of nature. Nature will change in itself. So it will stay nature, but it will not be nature as we know. We will have transformed nature. That is what Torah comes to do. Torah comes to transform nature. To In what regard? That it will include the divine presence as being part of its natural structure. Not easy to grasp this idea because it's abstract. But is it a new nature? It changed yeah, like, in a way. It's a new nature. It's an evolution of nature. Nature evolved into a different in a different state of things, but it will be so natural. It's just like if you were take today you would take away one of the four elements, out of most things, they would crumble, meaning they would not exist. So that's the way it's going to be the Gula. That. Yeah. Asked, what exactly do you mean by spirituality? Like bringing the... Like... So that's why afterwards I went to the word Divine Presence. Because okay. yes. spirituality can also refer to an energy. So when you say spirituality, you can also understand it as being, as I said before, the DNA of all matter. But that's, so that's not a fifth element. That is the composition of all the elements. All right, okay, but that's not a fifth. So basically you have four elements. As you're saying, those four elements are composed of that spiritual element, but to the point where you do not even see the spiritual energy, because all those four elements cover it up. Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't cover them up. They don't cover it up. It expresses itself through those four elements. Get? So it is nothing else than those four elements. To the point where, again, you can even have someone saying, so God doesn't exist. What he means is a fifth element. I did not find a fifth element, and I don't need a fifth element. Get it? Because the four elements are self-sufficient. He didn't talk about the four limits, but the, the reasoning is that reasoning. Everything exists by itself. So God is a kind of a, a foreign thing that you introduce, but you might just as well take it out and not be missing anything. So, again, going back to Torah, he says, yeah, but if you take it out, then your whole structure collapses because it's made out of spirituality. Okay. But that's something else. But the, the objective of Torah is to change the nature of the world. Now he continues, the and Hashem, blessed be He Himself, Hamaschil, He is the one that starts this process. to indicate the that the nature the nature of creation will be changed. and that is the reason why. Sinai, the Sinai Mountain on which Hashem is going to give the Torah, the Torah that will bring about this profound and structural change within nature. Well that Sinai Mountain, Avanim, although it was only stones, and you cannot eliminate it burning it. Liyod to create smoke from it because it does, is not consumed. Bechol nevertheless Hashem represented this idea that oh, kuloi, that it was completely smoking, meaning hey, that it appeared in a way that was contrary to its nature. Mipnei asher olav Hashem for Hashem descended upon it with fire. Hey, the fire also went against its nature, butiya, because its nature is to always ascend. Point: that's in a nutshell. Really in a nutshell. Meaning, why was the mountain smoking although nothing was burning? Why did the fire descend although those tire ascends? Because precisely the purpose of tire will be to change nature. And to express that, Hashem right away produced things that showed that nature as we know it will change, will not stay the same eventually. Meaning right from the beginning, Hashem already kind of showed the end game. What you know today is a fact that na- a stone cannot burn. Well, who says that that fact will always stay the same? It's a, there's a rabbi called, I mean, he lived in the past century, It's quite close to us, he was called Rav Eliyahu There's a series of books called them, and letters from Mikhtar Melio. And in one of his essays, he writes a very, very interesting way of looking at nature and miracles. He says the following. Nature is actually a constant miracle. And a miracle is actually an exceptional natural phenomenon. The distinction between nature and miracle is only the frequency. If it happens all the time, then you explain it. But your explanation is a De facto. Since this is how it happens, so I explain the thing. I'm going to give you a simple example. When a child asks where babies come from, it's going to be much easier to focus on pregnancy and childbirth than on conception. Because conception, that's the part that we're less comfortable explaining so where is your explanation going to start not yours but where is the explanation going to start from um, nesting okay. it's going to be nesting and pregnancy and childbirth like right, one second where did the nesting come from yeah <clears throat> do you want to go and play outside <laughs> okay right, because because that's so you see, science, in a way, has the same awkwardness. Why? Because science explains nesting and pregnancy and childbirth. You get it? But one second. But in about it itself. Where, eh, that's nature. You get it? That's mother nature. You see, that's kind of that's the cop-out. Meaning, where do flowers come from? Well, flowers come from a seed, photosynthesis, etc., 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 right? So that's a goal cool explanation. But you explain pregnancy and childbirth. You don't explain conception. How was it conceived? That's Mother Nature, right? (laughs) Why am I talking about that? I don't remember. How did it start? Talking about the difference between nature and miracles. Yeah. Why do we call something that happens all the time nature? Because now that it happens all the time, I can observe the process and I present The process as an explanation. But if you think about it, the process is not the explanation of the why. The process is the explanation of how. It doesn't explain why. It explains how. But since it happened all the time, it gave us the possibility to break down the process. And since we broke down the process, it seems to us logical. Well, the miracle since it only happened like once, so I I didn't understand the process. process so it's a miracle with the other process, huh? or its process. Its, it's process is not compatible, <laughs> true, or oh, it's not compatible with our process. So so it's it, it doesn't. Even if it happened Yeah. More than once, no, because then no. we would no, because then we would try and find at least an hypothesis why this and that it reacts differently. We're like in quantum mechanics. Uh, meaning yeah, you can try and find it in different settings uh, in nature and the rules of physics right. are are fleeting okay. But again you it 's hypothesis and you, you go with the f- meaning again because you have to explain it why because it happens, so you have to explain it i don 't know which general it was, but I know there's a like a four star general in America who wrote a whole like a big, big book about the, uh, the uh, wars of the 20th century, like the big wars of the 20th century, and basically explaining it from a military perspective. Like, at the end of the war, there was a, someone won and someone lost, like, what happened? Like, did someone win, or did someone lose? And he say, it's the same, it's not the same. Sometimes you win because your strategy was better, sometimes you win because someone else made a blunder. I like stretching lines too far and not having not having the uh, supplies coming, so you made a blunder so that's why you're lost right? not the other, you would have won if you would have done the problem anyways, so once there was this Israeli military whatever and he asked, he said, I read your book, your book is like wow, it's like a real, real analysis of military strategies Like you can you can analyze conflicts and wars he says, but you, you talk about you didn't talk about the, the six day war <laughs> I know this story <laughs> and he said I tried I could not make sense so it didn't fit it, it, I mean what's the point of writing something that you can't explain it? I can't explain it um, actually the 48 war was explained by a lack of coordination between the Arabs, which actually is true, you can say the lack of condition itself was the miracle okay, but you have an explanation it was done in a completely amateur way and so, okay, so they lost but 67, no it was like a really, really well prepared plan, so why did that fall apart he said I couldn't find an explanation for that so what do scientists science do when it can't find an explanation uh, just ignore it I just move on and pretend. They rewrite the hypothesis until they can find if it's too much in your face, but if you can also say, okay, okay, this is you know, random. Nature also has random mistakes, so that's the kind of the rule, right? If you have something that doesn't work out. Listen, it's a blunder. Like, like nature was not, not. So where am I coming to? So. Nature does not make more sense than miracle. So, if nature evolves into another nature, we, have, we would have no problem with it. This is what I was getting at. Because the reason why nature makes sense to us now is because that's the way it is now. But when nature will evolve into something else, and that will be nature. He won't say, hey, this is weird. This is like an added element. No, it's not. This is the element. So that is what Tyre is going to do. Tyre is going to change nature, where the divine will become a structural element of nature itself. Okay, so that in a nutshell was the mime of the Fedekarebba. And explaining why the mountain was burning, although there is no there was no things to be consumed, and why fire descended, those Those two elements were here, those two events were here to indicate that nature will change. You say, how can a mountain burn? Wait for it. How can fire descend? Wait for it. Is that a pre-Mountain Torah reality versus a post? No, too early in the mimer to go there. (laughs) Uh, At the giving of the Torah. Hashem, like, expressed the final goal. But expressed it in a very, very, in a very refined way. But it was there already. The idea was there. And it's not random, of course not, that this idea is expressed by the two opposites, stones and fire. There's nothing more physical than stone and fire fire is like really really spiritual it doesn't have any consistency you can say air as well no fire even more because fire consumes air right so it means that air has something that can be absorbed by fire because if you choke up a fire so once the fire has dissipated. D- burned up all the oxygen so it has nothing got so I'm done I'm going home So, you see, what are the two things that Hashem showed? The highest, the highest, and the lowest. Stones and fire, those two were changes. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you. Thank you very much.